Yo, yo, yo. This is the second episode of our season of Spoop. I am Derek, your host, and along with me is Aaron, like usual, and we are the Watch If You Dare podcast. How are you, Aaron? I'm doing spoopy this week. That's good, because we are in a full Halloween mode now. Yeah. And this is the best time of the year. I don't give a shit what anyone says. I like this season more than any other season. Halloween is my favorite holiday. It's funny because growing up, I think I went away from Christmas being my favorite holiday into Halloween as a lot of adults seem to do. And I now don't really like Christmas at all, to be honest with you. I'm sure you feel the same way, but you have a good reason. You work uh, where you work. Yeah, I I work a retail job. So the entire holiday stretch post Halloween is kind of miserable. So I don't have a lot of affinity for the last part of the year in terms of holidays go but my wife is crazy hardcore into christmas so i have come around a little bit but halloween is definitely still our favorite time of the year for sure kind of the same thing happened to me i mean i used to despise christmas right out of college but after i got into a committed relationship and even now i've come back around a little bit on christmas i still don't care for it as a holiday but i definitely like tolerate it whereas when i was just out of college i was kind of a grump about it yeah i enjoy being able to spend time with family when I do get that time but otherwise yeah the rest of the season can go fuck (laughs) yep So, uh, like usual, what have you been digging into lately that's horror-related? So, I've been real slammed with work lately, but I have one movie that I need to bring up that is a discovery for me that I'm now kind of obsessed with. I have also been digging into the actual, like, Hellraiser proper comic series now that I've finished The Harrowers. And these are kind of the more modern Hellraiser comics that started a couple of years ago, so it's pretty fun because every issue is essentially like a different small story and it's kind of an anthology series. You'll have really interesting one-offs that tangentially have to do with that universe as a whole. And there are some where the puzzle box doesn't necessarily even make an appearance, but there are situations like there's one that's set during like wartime where these troops are like going through the trenches and they go through the trenches in like this specific pattern that opens the portal to hell. There's one that that's just about this clown who his like whole kind of punishment is just to entertain all the unbaptized babies in hell. So there's like some dark shit in those comics for sure, but it's pretty fun in terms of expanding that universe. And I really, really think the Weinstein companies cue all the booze and hisses Weinstein yeah, company. Right. They still own the rights to the film series, which is why we continue to get a shitty direct to video Hellraiser movie every two, three years, but I really, really wish that the rights would somehow revert back to Clive Barker and somebody good get a hold of it and maybe do like an anthology TV show on something like Shudder or Netflix where you could really go full out are you finding that a lot of the, I don't want to say side material, but other material that is outside the movies, like with the comics, everything are just, now we're going to do Hellraiser during Christmas in 1988. Now we're going to do Hellraiser in the Korean War. Now we're going to do Hellraiser here. Is it a lot of that? Not quite because it has basically very little to do with Pinhead. Oh, okay. Gotcha. There are lots and lots of other Cenobites that show up. So it's not completely centered around him. I mean, it gets deeper into like 
like the politics of hell and Leviathan and kind of all the other like substructure of how hell operates. So all that stuff is kind of interesting as well too. Because I mean, growing up in like church, you always hear about like God and the archangels and like all these other specific saints. And there's this whole hierarchy to how heaven works. So like, of course, if we're going to do that, then we're going to have the opposite, which is, you know, hell has that same kind of structure, but I'm sure it's even more fucking tedious because it's hell. There's probably way more like middle managers in hell that are just even more like tedious assholes. Yeah, because I know with a lot of, from what I find from all the comics I read, a lot of licensed material, especially when it comes from horror related licensed material, does sometimes fall into that trap of what if we took Chucky, but Chucky was, there was a prototype for Chucky in 1955 and terrorized this small town America in the 1950s and stuff like that where they'll just take the thing, kind of almost like Jason X where they took Jason, put him into space, shit like that, where they'll like put him in different eras and be like, this is what they would do if they were in this era. Nah, this this comic series does a really good job of expanding the overall world and kind of broadening like how everything functions and creating new characters and opening up new aspects of that whole world. So the comics are pretty solid and there's not that many of them ultimately. It's been kind of an on and off series over the years and you know maybe they'll come back and do like another six to eight issue run but yeah it kind of comes and goes but the modern comics are all pretty solid so I was digging those. So like I mentioned a second ago had a real fucking busy weekend slammed with work and And instead of commuting back and forth every day, I just went ahead and crashed in town where I work with my parents who still live there. And they have like the little Apple TV streaming box just like I do. And I've got Shudder plugged in on it. Shout out to Shudder. Still waiting on that sponsorship. Sponsor us. Yeah. I'm going to keep tagging y'all on every single tweet I put out. That's not a threat. That's a promise. (laughs) Um, Anyway, yeah. Popped up Shudder. And uh, usually when I stay at my parents' house, uh, my mom and I will watch some especially like if my dad's at work because he works nights we'll watch whatever like trash garbage just happens to be on so i threw on shutter and on their like live streaming channels there was this real dated looking movie and i was like huh what is this put it on and it's called bloody birthday and i kind of got sucked into it to the point where after watching just a few minutes and getting to like one or two holy shit moments i had to like back out of the live stream go find the movie in the lineup and just watch the whole thing it's fucking great i have seen the artwork for this movie before and i've probably seen it on shutter's home page i think even all the way back when blockbuster was still around like in the horror section with the fingers coming out of the cake. This looks extremely familiar to me. So the key art that's on Shutter right now is a woman laying down upside down, like her face is hanging off the edge of a bed and like on her breasts is cake frosting and candles. Like it's really kind of odd key art. And then the artwork that they used for the Arrow release, which by the way, Arrow has this out on Blu-ray and it is a US release, so it is totally available. The artwork for it's just a piece of cake with blood dripping on it and like a knife stabbed into it so it doesn't tell you anything about what this movie's about because as I describe it you're gonna be like what the fuck so it is about these three kids who are all born on the same day at the same hospital during an eclipse and dot 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 eight years later they go kill crazy and just start murdering people (laughs) so and like I said just the movie never really explains why they suddenly go kill crazy at least 
least that I remember at all, but it's these three kids, and they commit a murder right at the beginning of the movie. And you don't necessarily know that it's them. You just see this murder happen. This couple that's making out in a graveyard gets killed. One of the kid's dad, who's a sheriff, starts to investigate it. Little by little throughout the movie, it's basically just these kids killing anybody that is onto them or kind of in their way or just pisses them off, like their teacher, who they go up to her and they're like, hey, it's all three of our, like, birthday. Do we have to do our homework? And the teacher's like, uh, yeah, like, just because you're all born the same day together doesn't mean, like, you're special. Yes, you're doing your fucking homework. And then all three of these kids, like, glare at each other like, oh, yeah, this chick's got to go. So it's just them, like, killing all these people that begin to find out about their all their little evil deeds, right? So there's this one other kid who is on to them and trying to prove that they're evil and they're doing all these bad things, but he keeps getting in trouble. So it'll be the kind of thing where, like, you know, one of the kid turns and says something kind of cryptic to him that's a kind of a clue, and he'll turn around and, like, punch that kid and he's the one that gets in trouble for like being mean right but there is definitely some like wild shit in there like you know they end up locking a kid in a refrigerator in a junkyard he barely gets out and that's definitely one of those things that we always heard when we were kids that's just not a thing today you know and it definitely started like with our parents generation just don't play in empty refrigerators dot 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 I've never heard of this before this is news to me back in the day refrigerators had big giant fucking metal like kachunk latches on them right yeah and that way you could like lock them but they're the kind of refrigerators that don't just push from the inside if you're stuck they don't have like a friction or like a suction door and there was like an episode of maybe punky brewster or different strokes or something like that where a kid gets stuck in one while they're playing in a junkyard or something like that and like dies from suffocation and so it became this after school special kind of thing i have never in my life seen just a refrigerator that I would ever want to play in, so I don't understand that aspect, let alone the whole like, it's an epidemic, oh my god kids are playing in refrigerators all over the place and dying from suffocation. It probably happened once and that was it. Kind of like we talked about in the last episode with the poison candy happening probably once or twice and that's it. Yeah. So anyway, the movie's fucking wild. The datedness of it is really fun. The like intensity of that movie is really fun and the editing's fun. There's lots of parts where they're about to murder somebody and the editing is just really manic and back and forth. The kids are all pretty funny and charming. The cast is interesting because it's downtown Julie Brown when she was really young. And Jose Ferrer is in it for a hot second as like a doctor. It was kind of wild. Like, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It would be a fun movie to watch with a group of people. So that would definitely be one to check out this month if anybody is looking for recommendations. Again, that's Bloody Birthday. And it should still hopefully hopefully be on Shutter by the time y'all hear this. Hell so yeah. that's all I got. What about you? I'll probably retread a little bit of ground with some stuff we brought up in past episodes, but I also have a really good thing that I watched that I don't think we brought up before. But before I get into that, just wanted to say that I finished A Plague's Tale Innocence. Okay. I overall give it thumbs up. Or the last half of the game, it goes more away from like realistic horror to more of embracing the supernatural. It's not a 
total jump the shark moment or anything like that because it, even in the beginning of the game there's parts with the little brother acting all strange and having this weird these weird headaches I have these weird headaches and and stuff happening like right after he has these headaches yeah you can see it coming a mile away but it does get a little bit crazy but I think it's a solid horror game it does go away from the stealth elements more into just straight up survival horror uh, you can still play it stealthy if you'd like but I just found that it was it, it got a little tedious when I didn't have to do it yeah and it was more fun to play it on my own terms once again all of the environmental puzzles with all the rats and just the rats in general were a really fun horror element like I've said plenty of times in the last couple episodes it, it has a lot of heart between the brother and the sister and just family in general and heart with horror is always a good combination so yeah if you're looking for something to play during Halloween and you're kind of stuck on what horror game to play and you've already played like Resident Evil 2 remake and all that stuff then uh, Plague's Tale might be one that you overlooked earlier this year and I highly recommend it okay also too and we've mentioned it a couple times I finally sat my ass down and watched Mindhunter yeah I think I got through both seasons in the matter of five or six days okay I want to say extremely solid love it and there are some moments where it goes from like just a thriller crime TV show to straight up horror because the opening scene in season two which I guess minor spoilers for Mindhunter where she walks in on somebody doing something in the bathroom yep that scene was pretty intense the other part where they're interviewing in a car one of the victims of BTK who got away but his sister was murdered and that whole just scene where he's talking about it the actor who did that was amazing that whole entire scene was just really eerie yeah that was a really interesting interaction the way that it was filmed because the camera is filming through the front of the car so you see the two main actors you're seeing their reactions and this witness is sitting in the seat behind them and so his face is blurred out while they're having this whole conversation and it's really really interesting the way that it's put together yeah and that was a very creepy scene just from the way he was talking and the music throughout the show is very well done very shining-esque where it's kind of just intense melodic dread then there were two of course all the interviews like all the actors that got to play these guys especially Brutus Manson and Kemper were definitely my three favorites yeah. out of all the people they interviewed but all of them were solid and there were a couple moments with Kemper that were legitimately creepy as well throughout the episode uh, a solid show I really want more of it I can't wait I'm assuming they're going to do a season three and something I wanted to ask you actually Aaron anytime they showed stuff playing on the news or pictures or anything like that was that all taken directly from reality or was that all just done in the TV show um, so some was real some was not some of the stuff with the newscasters was all stuff that they staged and filmed just so that way like the exact wording and things that they were saying matched up with where the story was at that moment but a lot of the like period footage and stuff is real right yeah because I know like the three main characters who kind of start the whole thing together they're all not real they're all based loosely based off of other people correct whereas like Holden is based off of Johnny Douglas but they're obviously extremely 
extremely different and the way they did things was extremely different but still uh, it, I thought it was interesting and ironically enough I was listening to last podcast interview of Johnny Douglas that Henry and Ben did I think for the Patreon and Johnny Douglas did say like yeah you know a lot of stuff was different in reality but Mindhunter does do a good job of being more realistic than most shows so yeah I thought that was very interesting I can't wait for more I hope there's more and yeah I'm glad that everyone you especially but you and everyone else was on my ass to watch a show thoroughly enjoyed it but the best thing that i did i guess that's horror related is i finally sat down and watched dan Aykroyd unplugged on ufos <laughs> yes yes yeah buddy it was funny because i don't know why i decided to do this i was cooking one day and i was like well i want to put something on i think i'd already binged five episodes in a row of mindhunter and i was kind of burnt out on it for a, a sec so i was like i want to watch something that's i guess sort of relative to maybe this like horror related maybe conspiracy theory and i was just like man what do i want to watch and then it just popped in my head dan Aykroyd unplugged on ufos now yes. this fucking thing I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. And I mean, if you believe in UFOs, you don't need to be convinced watching this. But <laughs> this fucking documentary was just part of it was showing footage of UFOs. Part of it was just images that painters had done or artists had done that were recreations of people's experiences. And then the other part of it, which was most of the movie, was just Dan Aykroyd sitting there chain smoking and sweating talking about UFOs. It's made to look like he's in an, an interrogation, which which I don't understand. He's sitting in a barren room in a chair with a harsh light pointed right at him at a bad angle, and he's chain smoking, like you said. So there's just this smoke wafting everywhere, and a lot of it cuts to like that bad 90s VHS black and white with like canted angles. Yeah, the whole thing is just him rattling off a million miles an hour. Now, in 1966, there was this, you know, hidden base out in uh, Arizona, and there was a craft. The craft that was seen by this farmer at this date, like, all of it is just, like, boom, 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 weird, and it's delightful. Oh, no, I, I had a fantastic time. Yeah. And the one thing that it infuriated me, but it also added to the charm, I guess, of this entire movie... David Serrata, who was the one who put this film together, but was also interviewing him. Anytime one of them was speaking and they weren't showing footage or whatever, the camera was just zoomed up on their face. You couldn't see that there were two people sitting right across from each other. Yeah. Like, it just kept cutting to either David or him, and they were obviously in the same room, but the camera just refused to show them together. Like, yeah. <laughs> like and it was infuriating me, but then by the end of it, like, when Dan Aykroyd, you can tell, had been there for hours and was, like, full-blown sweating, I was like, all right, I'm into this. <laughs> So, you know this story already, but in college, one of our friends, who will hopefully eventually be on the show one day, he fucking hates Dan Aykroyd. To the point that it became kind of a, like, inside joke in our friend group how much he hates Dan Aykroyd. And there was a night where he, another one of our friends, Farmer, and I, we all got real drunk. It was like a day that we were all off work or something, so we had been hanging out drinking all afternoon. And we decided to put that on just to spite Rob. And he was like, okay, I'll go along with this for a minute. But it just became him yelling at the TV, like, having dialogue with the TV back and forth with Dan Aykroyd. And it was amazing. It was delightful. But yeah, that, that documentary is basically available like on all streaming platforms. Yeah. So it's definitely something that you can check out. And I, I bet it's probably on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And just out of curiosity, I, I googled David Serrata. And the first thing that popped up is David Serrata now has a website about spiritual technology.
technology healing where he sells like crystals and shit. Oh, yeah. And I was on the front page long enough that within 20 seconds or so, a spin the wheel to win advertisement came from the side. <laughs> and I have my ad blocker up and everything, but that doesn't fucking matter, apparently. Oh, God. Did Rob, did he ever provide us a reason why he hates Dan Aykroyd so much? No, no. It was just one of those like irrational things where, you know, I don't know if he's hated Dan Aykroyd his whole life, but there was a day where we all just suddenly realized somehow in conversation that he can't stand Dan Aykroyd. And then it just became like a joke constantly where we would be like, hey, uh, we should check this movie out, Dragnet. Hey, why don't we watch Blues Brothers 2000? <laughs> you know what? I heard this movie's funny, but I heard that if we watch it, we're going to get nothing but trouble. <laughs> Just every chance we got to like put on something terrible with Dan Aykroyd, we would try to do it and just see how long until he left the room. See, and the only thing I knew about Unplugged UFOs, whatever it's called, is that Rob story. So I went in expecting for me to also start screaming at the TV. But I got to <laughs> admit, the same type of person in me that really enjoys Coast to Coast really started paying attention to it. It was yeah. just like, I didn't make fun of it at all. It captivated me. I was in 100%. So yeah, <laughs> if UFOs are your thing, definitely worth a watch. And you're right. It does look like it was made in like 1990s on a VHS. This movie was fucking made in 2006, which blew my <laughs> yeah. mind because I yep. thought it was made in the late 90s. Now it definitely has that mid 90s history channel UFO kind of look before that's all history channel became. But yeah, it's great. Halfway through the movie, he talks about the war on terror and I'm like, wait a second. This was made after two 2001 and yeah yep. look it up 2006 <laughs> i was like holy yep. shit all right so yeah that is what i got horror related now the movie we're doing this week for halloween is murder party as you can tell probably by the title so the icebreaker i wanted to pose to you for this episode was have you ever been in an awkward moment where you went to like a party by yourself or went with strangers or people you didn't really know too well were you supposed to meet a friend or something and they weren't there do you have any kind of experiences like that that were just worth noting uh so yeah and you're right this movie definitely does kind of hit on some of those fears that a lot of introverts have of, oh yeah, I don't want to go out. Something bad's going to happen. And in this movie, yes, something bad happens to this guy who does finally go out. But yeah, there are always those weird situations throughout college where maybe you go to a party where you don't know people and things get kind of crazy. There was definitely a time that I went to a party that was like friend from high school and then a bunch of friends of friends of friends from there. And it was like way out in the woods in the middle of nowhere. It was a bunch of people who went to like a completely different high school from me that that high school environment is completely foreign to what I knew from growing up. So it just felt really weird and culture shocky. And, you know, I did not grow up around like super, super rednecky culture. So when guns were eventually like brought out by a bunch of teenagers who had been drinking, that's all of a sudden where like every like spidey sense that I had kind of started peaking because they were just going in the backyard just shooting shotguns off into the woods for no real reason. And then like an argument and a fight started and that's the point where I was just like, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and head out of this situation before anything potentially happens. 
<laughs> yeah. So that's the first that comes to mind for sure. Yeah. There was a moment in high school or maybe it was sometime in college where I went back home for Christmas or summer where I was hanging out with a person and we were in a situation where there just so happened to be other people around dealing guns and we got the fuck out of there. I don't remember even where it was, but it was like kind of out in a wooded area. Funny that like both of these stories specifically have to do with guns. I think you can also agree with me on this. Neither of us is particularly iffy around guns. No, not at all. Like, I have owned guns before personally. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But, like, there's just something about being around other idiots with guns, especially when there's, like, alcohol and substances involved. Where, yeah, like, that's that's a combination well, for nope. <laughs> and that, that was the big fear is I've been around friends and family and people I know who know what the fuck they're doing with firearms. Exactly. But I can tell when someone doesn't know what the fuck they're doing, or at least they're not treating it with the respect that it deserves. And that was one of those situations where it's like, these idiots are like shooting at fucking trees. Yeah. We're waiting for the cops to get called on everyone on this party. Okay, so we pretty much have the same story almost. I guess the difference would just be how far outside of New Orleans did yours take place, if at all? Uh, Well, the, sc <laughs> the scary thing is it was like maybe 10 minutes away from major suburbia. So like okay, it, was, yeah. it was just like out in the levees areas, basically. Like not that far at all, if you, you know, New Orleans on any level. Yeah. But I do have a separate story that happened my uh, freshman year of college. So there were other people from my high school who I was like friendly with, at least in school, but you never really hung out with them outside of school. But they were there as well. And I wanted up hanging out with them quite a lot my first month because it was just familiar people, familiar faces. And a couple of guys that I was hanging out with, they were saying the whole time, like, oh, no, we just want to go to these parties. And then when after rush week happens, we'll just find our own groups. But we're just using this as a chance to get laid or meet people or just yeah. get free alcohol, basically. Then ran randomly like when rush week happened the couple of guys I had been going with a lot who like the whole time were saying that they didn't really feel like rushing all rushed frats yeah so like a couple weeks after that one of the guys contacts me one night and he's just like hey we haven't talked since I joined the frat but do you want to hang out I was like yeah yeah sure like I had fun when we were hanging out the first month so why not so he picks me up from the dorm room and he drives me out to and I'm not gonna name the bar but it's the redneck frat bar where at least it was at the time I was just like huh okay this is kind of strange that we're here. This is very different than what he was like and very different from what I was expecting. Sure. And I know exactly where you're talking about. So, yes. Okay. He walks me in immediately like everyone like knows him. And I'm like, oh, this, these are his frat brothers. Like instantly. I'm like, okay, he's invited me to like a frat function, whatever. He immediately like pushes me basically in front of these two guys who are obviously like seniors or older uh, alumni or something. And he's like, all right. I'm going to go off. I'll talk to you later, bro. And he just fucking <laughs> leaves. And I'm stuck with these two. And they start interviewing me like as if like I'm interviewing for a job. Oh, God. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they're trying to fucking recruit me. Like this is some kind of weird after rush recruitment thing. And they're like, so what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm at nursing school. He's like, well, and one of them literally said this. What? He's like, well, that that's going to be a little bit of a problem for some like attending all the social stuff. But we have a couple guys in nursing school. You'll make it work. And I'm just like, whoa, wait a yeah. minute. Yeah. Get out out of here with this somehow i talked my way out of it like I finally find him again and he's already wasted i somehow convinced him to go i somehow convinced him to give me his keys i uh i parked like at his frat house he's like oh aren't you going to the dorm i was like i'll walk back and then i just <laughs> never talked to him again after that it was just kind of one of those things where they were just trying to recruit me in retrospect it wasn't all that weird but it was kind of just this is not my scene i don't belong yeah. here 
this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful life. <laughs> yeah, same. I was never, ever interested in looking at any of that. And the handful of times I went to parties, I was just fucking miserable. So yeah, definitely, definitely not a good time. No. Kind of like this movie, not a good time. <laughs> not a good time. So I guess we should go right into it then, huh? Yeah, let's get started. We are going to be discussing Jeremy Saulnier's... Saulnier? I still hadn't figured out how to say his name correctly. I think Saulnier sounds better to me, but that could be completely wrong. I'm pretty sure it's Solnier from other uh, interviews that I've heard, and I guess he is, oddly enough, our first two-time director. Yep, this is the first time we've done a second movie by the same director. We are going to be discussing his first movie, 2007's Murder Party. Welcome to your murder. This is the party. We've been planning this for weeks. The invitation said murder party. If some jackass is dumb enough to come here, then he deserves to die. Look, I don't think we actually thought someone would be stupid enough to show up. He's a white male. He's perfect. Think beyond splattering blood on canvas. When our masterpiece is complete, and the coroner's report is back in, it will read the cause of death. Art. Happy Halloween. Everybody dies. Sign on for second degree assault party. Cool. So, like I mentioned a second ago, Murder Party is Jeremy Salnier's first movie. He, Macon Blair from this movie, who is also in a lot of other stuff that we'll talk about in a second, and Christopher Sharp, the star of this movie, or one of the stars, he's like the guy that gets kidnapped, he's the guy that's in all the key art. They were all friends growing up, and apparently they like to make little short horror movies like on VHS and Super 8. I'm not surprised by this in the least. Totally. Later on in school, they in their little group of friends expanded to uh, Paul Goldblatt who plays Paul in the movie Sandy Barnett who plays Alexander in the movie and Bill Lacey who plays Bill in the movie so all six of them were friends and they called themselves the Lab of Madness and they made little short horror films and they made school projects and things like that which specifically reminded me of myself in high school because my friends and I would make dumb little video projects for school all the time and we would just try to like make them as ridiculous as we could just to either piss off the teacher or make the class laugh or whatever. I specifically remember an instance where we had a really cool math teacher who was like our trig and advanced algebra and calculus teacher and he had a end of year project thing that he did with every single group that came through where you had to do some project for him that involved sine, cosine, and tangent. I can't remember what the prompt was exactly but that was basically it. Like a lot of times people would just steal pieces of furniture from his room and then bring them (laughs) back a week later like 
like painted and would have sine, cosine, and tangent and all the equations and stuff painted on the piece of furniture or knit a blanket with everything on it. Just something like that. So me and my smart ass friends for our group project, we made a movie and it sounds a lot like the kind of stuff that these guys all made where basically the movie that we came up with was a little bit of Evil Dead with a little bit of Lord of the Rings where one of our buddies played the main guy and all of a sudden like zombies started infesting his neighborhood and he ran off into the woods and discovered a wizard played by another one of our friends and the wizard taught him the ways of math and like the magic you need to dispel the zombies is this ancient mathematics and so he like all right yes <laughs> all right, all right. Hold on, hold on. do you have a copy of this movie fucking anywhere i don't oh my god god damn i it. fucking don't and i don't know how to get in contact with that teacher anymore to see if he still has a copy because uh, granted this was early mid 2000s it was vhs yeah i don't even i, don't I wouldn't even I'd have any it. way to fucking transfer it now just because i've ditched all that equipment but anyway yeah the wizard teaches the hero the ancient mathematic magic and they like <laughs> forge a fucking sword imbued with the power of the math basically all we did was take this plastic giant death lord halloween sword that one of our friends had heated up a piece of wire and like etched the like equations into the blade but we like duct tape other blades and shit to it and like a lighter and everything else there was definitely this great scene where it was just a bunch of quick zooms and editing very very much like uh evil dead where he's building his chainsaw arm and shit but then it's just him running around and like chopping heads off and chopping arms off of all of us and like zombie stuff but the the catch was this video was 37 minutes long <laughs> so it basically took up the entire period of class watching it <laughs> <laughs> Which was great, because we just, like, stalled a test by an entire weekend, making the entire class watch our videos, so the test got bumped to the next week. <laughs> God damn, that's so good. I want to watch it so bad. These guys, their whole thing reminds me of me growing up, because I was definitely always the movie kid, and I remember when we were really young, some of the kids that I grew up with were, like, doing Taekwondo, and we would make little kung fu movies in the backyard, and pour hand sanitizer and, like, alcohol on on roofing shingles and punch them in half and my dad would get mad at us and <laughs> you know just stuff like that so like that whole idea is definitely something that like I have a lot of nostalgia for those just crappy VHS movies with basically like tape on tape editing and all that kind of stuff so well, you also made that great movie that was basically kind of a riff on the BC Boys sabotage video that you did for college and I think Lamplu helped you with that was a good one that was one of our film school projects I essentially just made like a fake exploitation movie trailer but yeah like this whole idea of all these guys kind of being friends growing up doing all this hearing a lot of that backstory definitely hit some nostalgia bones for me but yeah once they were kind of grown and like actively trying to get into the industry you know they made a couple of short films hoping to attract some investors and after failing to secure those investors with the short films they said fuck it and they made murder party themselves with no outside money and everyone just 
just kind of had to like put on multiple hats during production and do you know a bunch of different things which is why the movie stars all of these guys I was about to say there's not really I mean making Blair seems like the most famous actor in this he movie, is I yeah guess. yeah he, he definitely is at this point for sure yeah because everyone else seems like this was their only acting gig yeah I think the guy who plays Chris is mostly production and this was like yeah. his only acting credit so that makes a lot of sense so a couple of people popped back up in Macon Blair's movie that he directed recently called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. The stars of it are Elijah Wood and Melanie Linsky, but Chris Sharp was in it. Macon Blair was also in that one as well. I, again, he directed that one. Uh, Sky Solnier, that played Sky, who's like the first person in this movie to die. That's Jeremy Saldier's wife. So, like, that's her only credit. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's funny. Yeah. Lexi in the movie is primarily a singer-songwriter, and she had a very small role in Sonya's next movie, Blue Ruin, but that was kind of it. So all these other people, like Paul Goldblatt that plays Paul, the guy dresses the vampire, he's mostly an effects and makeup artist, but he's like a teacher now. So Macon Blair is definitely the person who made it and kind of moved forward with a career, and he's been in all of Sonya's other stuff. Yeah, he was in Green Room as well, right? Yeah, yeah, he was in yeah. Green Room, he was in Hold the Dark, he's the star of Blue Ruin, and he's amazing in Blue Ruin, but he's also been in The Florida Project and Logan Lucky. He was in the Swamp Thing TV show, which I haven't gotten around to watching that yet because I wanted to kind of get deeper into the comics before I watched that show. That and like my enthusiasm for it kind of tanked once fucking DC like put the end to that show and it's already canceled before it even fully came out. Oh shit, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they like fucking canceled that show before it aired and I think they even cut it short two episodes or something like that. So that's fucking dumb. That blows my mind because that show has such good potential to be just a great horror TV show. And apparently it was good. James Wan, like, executive produced the whole thing, and I think he might have directed the pilot. Either that or somebody like Francis Lawrence or somebody like that might have directed the pilot. But yeah, like, it had good horror roots, and apparently the production value was pretty solid, but, you know, DC's gonna DC right now. Yeah. Macon Blair is also in the first episode of the HBO anthology show Room 104, and I think he might have directed the first episode as well. Not Room 237. <laughs> yeah, not Room 237, but kind of the same idea. It's like an anthology show, dot, dot, dot. I like how you just basically said that a documentary about The Shining is an anthology show because all the fucking conspiracy theories are Looney Tunes and should be fiction as it is. <laughs> they should do an anthology show based on Room 237 where every episode is a fake retelling of the making of The Shining, but from that person's story perspective. <laughs> Imagine Zach Galifianakis as Kubrick, sweaty. Oh God, the government, they're watching me constantly. How do I tell the world that I faked the moon landing? And just the entire episode is that. You know, that would be amazing. Yeah, so TM, 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 copyright us. Yeah. So, or we have a show idea. Yep. Write it down in pencil, or in ink rather, mail it to ourselves. Copyright. <laughs> yeah, um, Macon Blair is definitely a guy that I like seeing and stuff when he pops up and he's he's got a lot of stuff coming up soon as well he had one of the funniest parts of this movie I mean it's hard to say who was the funniest in this movie but he was pretty good in this yeah which by the way this is definitely like not a super scary movie I kind of wanted to pick some stuff that's a little bit fun for the month of Halloween and again for season of spoop the entire idea is like every year we're just gonna pick a specific theme for our Halloween episodes since the rest of the year is horror movies let's just kind of have fun for october but again like we mentioned last episode the whole 
idea of these next couple of episodes is movies that take place on Halloween night specifically, uh, which Murder Party does. And with that being said, there are a couple scenes that are kind of... Horrific, yeah. Yeah, horrific and disturbing. We've done a handful of uh, comedy horror movies, all of them mostly being black comedy. This is probably like the most black comedy out of all of them, I'd say. Yeah, this movie gets kind of dark, yeah. Yeah, this, this movie gets real dark, and there is disturbing scenes and ideas and imagery in it. Again, no jump scares, but there are some things that sit with you, for sure. And I mean, honestly, I can relate a thousand percent to the main character, uh, Christopher, especially when it comes to anxiety and just I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the way he acts like his mannerisms when he's home by himself was just oddly the same sort of shit that I do when I'm home by (laughs) myself. So it was kind of like a disturbing looking at myself and what I would be like in a situation like this. But yeah, I'm jumping way ahead on that. Uh, Something I I did want to mention too, as you're talking about Solnir's experience with movies, is that with Murder Party, at least according to his Wikipedia article, he was not only director and writer, but he was also main producer and cinematography of this. And he was casting director and camera operator. They all wore different hats, not just acting in this. I mean, granted, he didn't act, but he was everything else, it seems like, behind the scenes. Yeah, Paul Goldblatt also did the makeup and effects stuff, which that's kind of what he went on to do later. Um, So yeah, they, they were all doing, you know, multiple things kind of at the same time. But yeah, I mean, like you said, this this movie definitely has like some real fears it's preying on. I mean, you know, the whole idea of just anxiety and breaking out of your shell. And then, of course, that situation goes bad, which is what you always fear. Just the idea of being a victim of abduction or just random violence. Again, going back to the two situations we just mentioned about going to parties that suddenly like the potential for violence was there and just the uncomfortable levels of anxiety that you get to also just more internalized everyday kind of fears like you know your creative endeavors you know either being just not good or like not being accepted and just you know finding general meaning or fulfillment in your life and just the anxiety and fear that permeates you for that Um, and that's just stuff that's universal and you can understand it and even if you're not a shithead art student like the characters in this movie you can still like get where they're coming from to a degree and the randomness of it kind of hit me even more because like I'd said I was binging Mindhunter in the middle of all of this yeah and then I paused watched this and the whole idea behind that is like all the randomness of super crazy acts of violence and this movie I mean it it does a tongue-in-cheek to an extent but it, it does very much capitalize like going back to abduction like you said just how that can happen to anybody it preys on that fear that everyone has in the back of their mind like you kind of take it for granted we're like oh it's not gonna happen to me but then you go and listen to these true crime or watch these true crime shows or whatever and it's like oh shit this could happen to anybody at any time apparently yeah and all that said there is a bit in the movie where later they're like no this dildo actually came here his own free will he deserves to die (laughs) yeah so he did kind of put himself in this situation he just didn't know what he was getting into which by the way heather watched this movie with me and once she kind of realized right at the beginning like where things were going she was just like no no what's gonna happen to him is he gonna be okay why he's so nice like what's no i don't like this and she just like completely turned against the movie once she realized what was happening i mean i understand though because chris is like super 
super naive in this movie. Yeah. She was like, he's nice and he has a cat. He just wants to have friends and have fun. Yeah, like he's just a unassuming <laughs> kind of another weird thought in my head, again, thanks to Mindhunters. This is like what BTK or one of these serial killers would be like if they had a conscience and they had empathy for other people. Yeah. just the way he was acting was very meticulous. Okay, complete sidetrack, but you mentioned BTK two or three times, that fucking nerd. There is a photo that I saw recently that kind of cracks me up at just, again, how much of a fucking awkward dweeb that guy was. It's like him and his daughter standing in front of their house, and he's standing, like, too close to, like, a tree branch, and he's just awkwardly, like, tilting his head to the side to, like, stand underneath it instead of just taking one step to the fucking left of the tree branch. <laughs> okay, anyway. What tan- a jerk Tangent off. aside, yeah, what a piece of shit. Fuck you, BTK. I don't want to defend myself real fast here. Uh, what I mean is, like, anyone who acts this way, it's not abnormal. I'm just saying that he acts very meticulous. Oh, yeah, no, I He's I knew very exactly empathetic, what you meant. he yeah. has a conscience, he doesn't kill people. Yeah, I knew exactly what you meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, on that note, Murder Party, as of right now, is available on Netflix. It has been on and off Shutter pretty consistently. I have also seen it on Amazon before, but as of this recording, it's on Netflix. Go check it out. It's essentially, in air quotes, free if you have Netflix. Otherwise, it's only available on DVD right now, which I'm hoping somebody like Scream Factory, again, shout out, plug, if you're listening, they will maybe like get this put out on Blue sometime soon. Um, I would like to own a copy of this, but paying like $27 for a DVD is... I have a hard time with that, especially with it's being on streaming right now. But if there was a blue ever, I would definitely check it out. So this one should be fairly easy for y'all to get a hold of. So the movie starts with scenes of Halloween evening. So we are in kind of a New York neighborhood where there's families walking around with their kids and people hanging out. And this is kind of the family side of the neighborhood. And we basically see a pumpkin get smashed to fuck on this stoop. And then the title, Murder Party. And the music is very reminiscent of original John Carpenter Halloween. Like original. Yeah, it's very synth It's very slasher. It's very 80s, 70s slasher. And the music in this is kind of fun because it's just so overwrought at all times. Yeah, and apparently the music was done by Brooke Blair and Bill Blair. So I'm guessing... That it was a couple that did it. They might even be like related to Macon Blair, possibly. They might, they may so, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, knowing that they made this movie with no money, but what they had amongst themselves, that's probably the case. So anyway, we have this guy on his way home with groceries. This is our main character, who we don't learn his name right away, but his name is Christopher. As he's walking home, he sees a envelope that he picks up, and it's an invitation to a Halloween party, and it's just called Murder Party. The envelope is black, and when he opens it, it shows an address and just says, come alone. Yeah. The way the envelope is made is it's trying to be sinister, but it's just one of those over-the-top invitations that you sometimes get for, like, a wedding or something like that. Yeah. Might add also that Christopher is played by Chris Sharp, so they kept his name... (laughs) Most people kept their names. <laughs> yeah. uh, Bill, yeah. William, Paul, Paul, Macon, Macon. Like, most of all the guys kept their names. Sky and a different variation of the way you spell Sky. Yeah. 
So he goes inside and we kind of see his general routine of putting his keys in a certain place, hanging up his coat in a certain place, taking his shoes off and putting other like house shoes on. You know, he, he has a very buttoned down, boring, methodical life. But, you know, it's Halloween night. So we see him bringing some stuff home. He got some candy to put out. He got a couple of VHS tapes, which it was shit like Scarewolf, like all these fake made up <laughs> movies that were pretty yeah. good. Initially, he's just going to have a night in for Halloween, watching these VHS tapes he picked up. And he goes over to his chair to sit down, and his cat sitting in his chair. And the cat won't budge, which, of course, it's a fucking cat, and cats are assholes. I say that as, like, your cat is, like, creeping in the background of Skype right now. Independent, lovable creatures. He makes the decision of, like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to this party. He also has an alarm go off on his wristwatch, and we see him take out some pills, pop a pill. We don't really know, like, what they're for, but as the movie goes on, it becomes clear that they're just basic pills for, like, anxiety. He, again, decides to say, fuck it, I'm going to go to this party. So he scoops up all the, like, broken pumpkin chunks and brings them in and, like, makes some pumpkin bread out of them, and he, like, puts some raisins in it. You see him mixing it all up, puts it in, and then he goes and digs out a box with his old Halloween costume, which he ditches and just tears up the box and makes a set of knight armor with like a goofy helmet with these little horns sticking out of it. It looks hilarious. Yeah, it's just duct tape and cardboard. So he puts that on, he gets his pumpkin bread and just kind of sits the bowl of candy corn outside the door with a note on it that says like, take whatever you want. And so he just makes his way through Brooklyn to the docks area where this park party is happening and it's kind of hilarious because he like travels into Brooklyn there's a scene where like this subway rapper is all up in his face rapping and he's just real uncomfortable and there's people on the streets everywhere running around you can see he's kind of anxious just with all the insanity of Halloween night in New York yeah he's very anxious but also there's a little bit of excitement he's looking at other people's costumes and kind of being like oh this is sweet awesome going back real fast to his mannerisms in his apartment when he's by himself again I could relate to some of the stuff he was doing him talking to his cat being like are you gonna get up sir lancelot are you gonna give me my chair this time (laughs) nope because i do that shit to my cats all the time i'll talk to them i'll sing to them or whatever and then just being kind of meticulous with certain things like taking your shoes off and placing them in a specific area and just being very unassuming i guess i mean granted i don't think i would scoop up a smashed pumpkin to make banana bread but i do my own stuff when i'm by myself that's just probably boring to most people if they actually watched me and the movie does do a great job of setting him up as a very empathetic and unassuming person. Yeah. And it does do a pretty good job of just honestly showing anxiety in a very realistic way because that's what it really looks like. There are panic attacks, not to say that there aren't, but for most people who are kind of just going through the day-to-day, the way he's acting is very much like that when you have anxiety like that, especially if it's being treated with therapy and medication. Yeah, totally. And then when he goes to the docks, which this is the part where like this is kind of his fault because this fucking address that he's going to is out in the middle of goddamn nowhere. There's no one around. The docks are completely empty. It looks pretty run down. I do love that scene where like he's starting to get nervous because it's just creepy and there's nobody around and it's just this empty dark warehouse district and the part 
part where he does just speed up and it just cuts to him like running his ass off to the like end of the street it's pretty <laughs> yeah. great yeah so he arrives at the warehouse that the address is tied to and nobody's there it's just a door the door's open he goes in and this is like a big metal grate sliding door down a weird hallway with just boxes and all kinds of random shit inside this would be the part where I nope the fuck out yeah like yeah. when you arrive at a party and there's nobody there initially like yeah that's maybe time to start being iffy but he kind of makes his way into this warehouse and finds oh there is a group of people and immediately they're like wait what and they're all just kind of standing around hanging out and once they notice that he's there they're like oh shit wait what like somebody actually came and you know immediately they all kind of swarm him and they're like hey how's it going who are you here for the party yeah party's gonna be fun and he hands him pumpkin bread and they're like oh what is it oh pumpkin bread yeah it's funny because when he first walks in they're all doing different shit i don't i forget what paul and macon were doing but uh so let's let's do like a rundown of the characters real yeah, quick. yeah yeah because like last week's episode night of the demons they kind of do a smart thing with the casting where all of these characters are in halloween costumes so you kind of know who's who by their costume that's like the easy way to keep up with things so paul is dressed up as a 19th century gothic vampire with mutton chops and you know a frilly neck thing whatever those were called and he's got on like a suit and he's setting up a camera macon is dressed as a werewolf so he's just kind of got on like jeans and a hoodie with a werewolf mask and he's just kind of hanging out smoking a cigarette sky is dressed as like a zombie cheerleader and then lexi is dressed up as pris from blade runner which is great and she's just kind of sitting down setting up dominoes and doing lines of coke as he's walking in she sniffs up a line basically and then bill who's dressed up as the lead baseball fury from the warriors which again another great costume he's just kind of sitting off to the side playing video games yeah he's on a psp and he's on this psp kind of throughout the movie and stopping at bill for one second not necessarily the way he acted but the way he looked and maybe a couple of his mannerisms reminded me so much of our friend nathan (laughs) well he he reminded me of rob a lot too a little bit of both yeah i could see rob too yeah rob and nathan blended together and if both of them were like socially stunted i guess yeah so they all kind of gather around chris as he comes in because they genuinely weren't expecting anybody to show up except bill bill again is still just kind of on the ground playing psp yeah so they're kind of talking to him and trying to distract him and macon is sneaking up behind him with an axe that he's about to swing down but the axe head gets caught in like the chain of the light above him and he accidentally just turns on the lamp which causes chris to look back and like see the axe and freak out and start running away which they all then chase him so there's this pretty fun chase scene where they're just running through this warehouse trying to catch him so they eventually tackle him and they tie him to this chair and he's like tied and chained up now gagged and this is kind of when we find out what the murder party like means right so this is a group of shitty art students who are all part of this art collective and they are all kind of vying for the attention of this wealthy donor patron kind of guy and they had this idea that on Halloween night they were going to throw this murder party where they actually kill somebody that shows up as a means of like influencing their art. You know, Paul's a photographer and Bill paints and Lexi does like video stuff so they were just going to use this murder 
murder as like inspiration to fuel their art and hopefully like one of them would get a grant from this guy yeah they keep bringing up this guy and his grant alexander alexander and he'll show up later but uh yeah they keep talking about that and every one of these characters is a caricature of shitty art students i guess and not to say that all art students are shitty but there are those people who you probably know my parents bought me a loft that's going to be my (laughs) gallery space yeah but honestly like even characters like lexi and sky and i want to say macon were totally people i've met and might have even been friends with in college oh yeah everybody that's gone to any kind of college knows who these people are for sure these are caricatures but there's a lot of honesty to the way they're they're portrayed yeah i love lexi's video too that she shows alexander later she's just like yeah i called it like epiphany in black it's just her like laying in a bathtub screaming while people are like throwing hot dogs at her and it's like cutting to like baby doll heads and spider webs and it's just her screaming with like a voiceover she's like oh yeah it's so good so deep anyway they're all kind of sitting around talking about like how they're going to kill chris and like who's gonna do it what time do they do it do they wait on alexander to get there and in the meantime sky breaks open the pumpkin bread and starts eating it and while they're all sitting around arguing she starts saying hey are these raisins are these organic raisins oh my god i'm allergic these are non-organic raisins oh my god the whole time christopher's grunting and like nodding or shaking his head no like answering her questions and she stands up and is like oh yeah just it's gonna be okay i'm just you know i might get a little bit dizzy it'll be all right and she immediately like fucking passes out and hits her head on some rebar that's just laying around in this warehouse and it's the most just sickly like right when she you know hits her head on it and then you know she immediately like sits up and is like oh i'm okay everything's all right and she like turns her head to the side with a gaping fucking hole in the side of her head that starts squirting out blood do any of y'all smell uh what was it like fresh cut grass fresh cut grass pass out dead yeah (laughs) what dead yeah falls over so now all these people are like in shock because complete accident she fucking fell over hit her head and is dead now and so some of them are just kind of ignoring it like okay whatever like that's just one less person in the room that i have to compete with for this grant and macon specifically gets really upset about this yeah they were even kind of talking like they are starting to have a some second thoughts a little bit one of them is like bill what do you think and bill just kind of looks up from his psp finally and says this is a murder party right he specifically said i didn't sign up for second degree assault party (laughs) yeah that's it yeah yeah (laughs) then this happens and then yeah macon freaks the fuck out and starts blaming christopher first guy's death and that's kind of when they like resolve that okay we're gonna kill this guy and macon too his whole character thing you can tell he is like desperate for some female attention sky dies pretty quick in this movie but he's definitely infatuated with lexi which we kind of see throughout the movie but as sky is saying like oh yeah i might get dizzy he like rushes behind her and gets some boxes and moves him right behind her so she could like sit down like he's trying to like do everything he can to like you know be there for her and as soon as she like dies he immediately is just like oh this is your fault christopher 
for, for making that bread with raisins. Ah, I'm gonna fucking kill you. And it's like all up in his face. And he picks up the jug of acid that Sky brought that they were gonna use. Because there's plastic tarp laid out in the middle of this warehouse. And they have an axe and a chainsaw. Which, by the way, it's a fucking chainsaw. Which they wrote Old Painless on it from yeah. fucking Predator. Which is great. But it's a chainsaw that is electric. So it has to be like plugged in with a cord. And that comes back later. Mind you, they stuffed Sky's body in the freezer. Yeah. They just kind of jam her in the freezer to guess hide her. They just roll her up in the plastic, yeah, and like put her in like a deep freeze that happens to be there so that she's not seen. And I love that they're like, Bill, clean that up. And he just kind of casually gets up and walks over and just kicks two cardboard boxes over the giant smear of blood all over the ground. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, Macon starts flip the fuck out and he gets the giant jug of the like, you know, in air quotes, acid that Sky brought and just starts reservoir dog style, just pouring it all over Christopher and Christopher's screaming and freaking out and they're both freaking out. He's like, yeah, die, motherfucker, die. Ah, I'm gonna kill you. Ah. And Amelia, as soon as he does it, he's like, oh my God. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, man. Oh my God. Oh my God. Just like, he starts like immediately pack pedaling on that. <laughs> and then they realize like, oh, wait, this isn't working. This acid, what the fuck is this? And they read the bottle and they're like, oh, acetic acid what is that oh it's fucking vinegar <laughs> yeah i'll google it <laughs> yeah. like lexi gets up and like runs to her phone yeah so immediately like we know what kind of ding-dongs we're dealing with in this movie so alexander this wealthy patron guy that they're all kind of competing for his attention for to get this grant he shows up and he is accompanied by his friend zyko his drug dealer he quickly explains and they also bring along his dog hellhammer and like zyko is kind of like i guess he is the caricature of eastern european, european like yeah, like mysterious like unknown country that he's yeah, from yeah gold chains fanny pack like dated clothing heavy eastern european accent so they show up and he just kind of lets his fucking dog like run loose in this warehouse and the dog immediately beelines to the freezer and starts smith sniffing around the freezer where they stuff sky's body <laughs> and they're all like immediately trying to get his attention essentially and they're all like alexander look what i did and oh yeah let me show you this thing that i made or and this is when lexi like shows him the video that she made of just her getting like hot dogs thrown at her and it's so artsy and again he is another caricature but this time i guess of the superior artist yeah he is the art snob guy. He is not an artist, but he is the art critique. He's always one-upping people. He's always kind of up his own ass, bringing up random shit like, oh yeah, Venice, they love this stuff. Yeah. Not impressed by anything. Different in a way from Bill. Bill is just kind of like silent kid who's playing PSP. He's very much trying to make a point that he knows all and has the grant and is better than they are because immediately he notices that because he's also dressed kind of as a gothic vampire. But, But a vampire that's more like douchebag vampire he's just got like a red undershirt on with a suit and he's wearing like a big giant cross with a giant ruby in it necklace and that's it like he walks in with fake plastic teeth in that he kind of scares Lexi with and then immediately takes him and I was just like haha gotcha babe see I totally forgot that he even had the teeth to begin with yeah it just comes and goes so quick it's like the most half-assed oh yeah I bought these teeth and this weird giant gold necklace I'm a vampire now yeah but yeah to your point he like walks in and sees Paul dressed up like a vampire and immediately just 
just like, no, take all your vampire stuff off. Take those teeth out. Take that clothes off. Basically just strip down to t-shirt and like speedo that you're wearing, you know? And then of course he's like, no, I'm just joshing with you. Your art's really the best. All these other idiots, they don't have a chance, right? So he's he's also kind of playing them against each other. Mind you, he does this by having Zyko point a gun at him. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of like guns randomly brought into party situations, all I can think of too upon this second watching, because Heather's been re-watching The Office, there's the scene where Michael Scott in The Office goes to like his improv class and they're doing an improv scene and then he just like walks in, kicks down the door, has his fingers made up like a gun and he's just like, I got a gun, everybody get down. They're like, you can't just bring a fucking gun into every situation that we try to do. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. Like this whole thing starts and then immediately like Zyko pulls out a fucking gun. <laughs> yeah. Then after like he t- tells him he's just fucking with them, he's just like, the gun isn't even real and the gun is obviously fucking real. Yeah. So they start kind of going back and forth trying to impress Alexander and you know, Alexander has this grand speech about like what is art and the meaning of why we're here and you know, this murder party means something and we're going to change the world with the art and we're going to show like the truth of society and blah 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 right it's just give me your best ideas on how we should kill this stranger well dildo (laughs) they use the word dildo like as a group the word dildo is used constantly (laughs) and once alexander gets there and you hear him say the word dildo in reference to somebody you realize like oh they're all saying dildo because he says dildo <laughs> so Alexander basically just says, gonna wait to the witching hour and then we're all gonna kill him together. So in the meantime, they're just drinking and doing lines of coke and partying and dancing and doing all their like individual arts while they're passing the time. And Chris is just tied up in the chair, like watching all this. And they also like at one point start getting hungry and they start debating on what type of pizza they want. Well, they start arguing about what to get. And of course yeah. they're like, do we want Indian? No, we don't want it. Do we want sushi? No, I don't like sushi. You know, while they're arguing about food immediately somebody turns around like oh shit and Chris had escaped (laughs) so then they just chase Chris around the warehouse a little bit more and this time it's a little bit more intense because you know you have Bill like with a baseball bat chasing him Psycho now has the axe and he's chasing him making plugs in the fucking electric chainsaw (laughs) and is chasing him until of course he like unplugs it from the wall accidentally and Chris just kind of you know runs by him but eventually they get him tied back up again so they just decided Let's just go get pizza. Fuck it. So Macon goes to pick up the pizza. Once he arrives back, um, we see Alexander banging Lexi. Like, they're in some other little, like, office area. And we just see, like, the two of them pressed up against the glass. Just going at it as Macon walks in right past him. Doesn't see it because they're behind him. But then when he realizes what happens, because once he comes in and says, Oh, pizza's here. Lexi comes around the corner. Makeup smeared all over her face. Again, she's dressed up like Pris from Blade Run or so she has the white face paint with the big blue stripe across her eyes and all of her like face makeup is all mussed up and she's like oh yay pizza's here and Alexander comes right behind her with white makeup all over his fucking face so Macon realizes what happened he immediately gets disheartened about it and he makes a comment to Macon too about it yeah the comment is Lexi's pussy screamed at me (laughs) yeah like what a fucking douchebag (laughs) so anyway Macon like gets disheartened 
by this because, you know, of course, he also has a thing for Lexi, too. And he just starts pounding beers. So he's just going hard at the alcohol, like throwing back 40s, pouring them all over himself, spitting them everywhere. Like he's just going full drunk wolf man. Yeah, he like starts howling like a wolf at one point and is pouring it over his wolf mask. Yeah. And they're blasting music and people are kind of dancing on and off. And they, they're having an actual party while, again, Chris is still just tied up in the corner. <laughs> well, and I, I maybe laugh what Paul was doing because Paul was trying to take photography of Chris as he's tied up and like is getting frustrated because no one's helping him yeah because he asked bill help me out and bill's just straight up ignoring him playing psp still at one point psycho is finally just like you know all right i'm bored with this party and alexander kind of like whispers it in his ear a little bit and then they come back and alexander's like all right we're gonna play extreme truth or dare and psycho breaks out this medical pouch with some needles and some kind of like medicine in the little vial and reveals, oh, it's sodium pentothal, which is, in air quotes, truth serum. And I love that Alexander's line was like, yeah, it's all the rage in Belarus. All the teens are doing it. (laughs) (laughs) They all sit around in a circle and they start passing the needle and like sticking themselves with the sodium pentothal. And initially some of them are like, yeah, we're not sharing this fucking needle. That's weird. And of course, Zyko just points the gun at him again and threatens him. I love that Lexi too was just like, yeah, I I don't like needles. Needles. needles hurt. He's like, you won't feel this needle. And she's like, yes, I will. And he's sticking her with the needle like in that moment. <laughs> she doesn't realize it. I forgot that they all use like the same needle because even someone makes a comment. There aren't even enough needles for everybody. Yeah. And, and Macon's like, I'll share a needle with Lexi, which again <laughs> is just like fucking like, oh God, this guy. But as it's kicking in, they kind of start all making like really lame puns because they're all kind of getting that punch drunk weird feeling from the drugs. At that point, Chris kind of is like talking through his mouth gag. Well, it should be noted too that when the needle came around to Alexander and only Chris noticed this because he was like kind of sitting right near Chris, he injects the needle into his pizza instead of into himself. So everyone else is full of this quote unquote truth serum except for him. Yeah. And they get up and ungag Chris for a hot minute so he could like make his lame pun and they're like yeah fuck it get this guy in too so they like stick him in the neck with the sodium pentothal as well so as they sit around doing this extreme truth or dare with fucking truth serum running through them we start to learn like all these like really kind of either super personal or super super trivial things so we find out that one of them is insecure about their art and you know they feel like everybody's better themselves and that moves on to like oh yeah Macon saved a popsicle stick that Lexi like threw on the ground this one time talking about like yeah you remember that time that we did this thing and it was so much fun and it was like a great time and she's like no I don't remember that at all (laughs) but yeah he like reveals that like he saved this popsicle stick and that he loves her she doesn't remember it until he mentions that she went home with a different different guy guy, yeah and she's like oh yeah I remember that that was a great time Um, Bill finally pipes up and is just like what do all of y'all say when I'm not around and they reveal like oh yeah we're kicking you out of the collective and Lexi says yeah we're really just doing it because you're actually really good and we're all just really insecure yeah and Bill the entire time is kind of like while this is all funny he's the only one like just straight up remaining hyper serious or like in his own world or distracted and like when he does talk yeah it's just weird shit like what do y'all say about me behind my back really cryptically yeah and so you can tell like something is building in Bill because you can see in like flashes throughout the scenes like when they're talking about 
him or ask him to do something, he'll kind of like glance and look frustrated or whatever. And especially in this scene. Yeah. And at one point too, they also ask Alexander, like, do you really have $300,000 in grant money? And again, he's not actually doing any of the drugs. He's like, actually, it's more like $500,000. What was Christopher's story again? Because then like there's a moment of silence between the group and then he pipes up. He's just like, I shit myself. (laughs) Yeah. So they're all kind of sitting around in this melancholy after like a bunch of uncomfortable truths have come out. And then Christopher all of a sudden is just like, I dumped myself. And everybody's like, oh, God, oh, get away from him. And he's like, I dumped myself at my brother-in-law's wedding. You know, I was going down the elevator and I couldn't get out. And, you know, I had to walk up six flights of stairs, you know, because there was like a model airplane convention at the hotel and, and it touched my socks. Like, that was the part where, like, I fucking lost my shit. Yeah. Where he's just like, it touched my socks. <laughs> and then they all kind of, like, get closer around him, like, because now they're interested. Yeah. And they start kind of, like, firing questions at him. Like, are you virgin? No. Do you do this? Yes. What's your job? I'm a police officer. And then they all start freaking out like, oh, shit, are you cop? He's like, no, no, no. I'm like a civilian part of the NYPD. He's a meter maid. Yeah, I'm a meter maid. Yeah. But he's saying it in such like a dreamy kind of way because, again, the sodium pentothal. So he's just like, yeah, all I do is give people tickets and just ruin their days. Anyway, at this point, they're like, all right, we got to get out of this funk. Let's do some fucking drugs. So they, they immediately just like start doing coke and you see them kind of get all amped up again. So they're, you know, all partying again. Again, Macon's just pouring alcohol, literally pouring alcohol all over himself. Alexander sends Zyko out to get crank. Yeah, the whole time he's like, I really need some crank, man. It's like, well, I have this. No, 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 you don't understand. I really want some crank. <laughs> so <laughs> Zyko leaves to go pick up some crank and apparently also like fish and chips. And make wanders outside to go smoke a cigarette and he's outside like with the dog just talking at the dog because he's wasted hey buddy yeah i wish i was a dog like you (laughs) just making all that kind of like drunk person talking to an animal so he goes to light up a cigarette and immediately just whoosh on fire from all the fucking alcohol he's been pouring on himself um so he's outside on fire screaming screaming and nobody inside is paying attention yeah except christopher because he's facing out and can see through the window yeah and he's gagged so he can't tell anybody paul is like whining complaining about how nobody will help him set up the lights for the photograph that he's like trying to take a portrait with like a medium format kind of film camera that's complicated to set up and you know he breaks out his phone and calls his assistant to like meet him at the warehouse so all this craziness is going on the assistant shows up and she's like yeah what the fuck is going on here this is kind of weird but okay whatever it's just another gig yeah and everyone everyone's just like why the fuck did you invite your assistant to a murder party he's just like it's just an assistant like yeah i can't work without an assistant she's not gonna say anything again meanwhile fucking make it as engulfed in flames still you can still hear him screaming outside the entire time the assistant takes the gag out of christopher's mouth for a hot second to like ask him a question he's just like run run get out of here she's like okay no it's it's fine i know what i'm doing (laughs) just like puts the gag back in so they all kind of start arguing lexi realizes what's going on outside and she runs outside 
outside, sees him on fire, runs back in, and it's all cutting, like, between all this really, really fast. And this is the definition of, like, shit escalated out of nowhere. She runs inside, gets a fire extinguisher. First fire extinguisher doesn't work, runs back in. Her and the assistant grab, like, different ones, and they put Macon out. And they're dragging him back in, and he's, like, smoking and, like, all fucked up now. And while they're dragging him in, Paul is arguing with Alexander about the grant and all this other bullshit. And Alexander's also had this little black book with him all night. And he keeps pulling it out and kind of looking at it and glancing at this little black book and like putting it back in his pocket. And there's like a scene earlier too where Paul and Lexi and Alexander are standing around looking at one of Bill's paintings while he like went outside for a minute. And they're criticizing his painting and making fun of it. And Alexander's dropping words like jejun and it's a whoremonger of a painting and oh yeah it's a screaming barnacle they're just being like art snobby as fuck but the other two are like sycophantically laughing along and just kind of mirroring everything he's saying and Bill walks in on them yeah because like someone tells him to go look at the dog like make sure the dog is okay outside and he goes outside just just, like sitting there yelling at the dog being like I kill the furry ones first or something (laughs) I hate you I hate (laughs) you and the dog's just staring at him yeah I kill the furry ones first it was funny too to me that Paul is the one that gets up in Alexander's face finally about all this. Yeah. Because earlier during like all the scenes where they're doing drugs and partying, there's this part where like Alexander's like, or not Alexander, Paul. So during the sodium pentothal scene where they're all sitting around, Paul kind of casually reveals, oh yeah, I'm bisexual. Well, I think kind of everybody is. So, so continue from there. Yeah. Yeah. So like when they're in the middle of the partying and everyone's doing their own art shit and getting wasted, like at one point Paul looks up and Alexander's standing above him and they kind of just smile at each other and then it immediately cuts to them having sex in the same way that him and Lexi had sex earlier. Yeah, it's just Paul pressed up against the glass. So anyway, Paul is finally confronting Alexander about the whole Grant thing and what's in that weird little notebook. You're not actually like some kind of donor. You don't actually have money. You don't actually know what you're doing, right? And while all this craziness is going down and they're dragging Macon in who's just been put out, you know, after being on fire, Paul happens to see the like little zip-up case with the sodium pentothal and the needles just sitting on the ground and while Alexander is talking he walks up behind him and jabs Alexander in the neck with a big dose of the sodium pentothal because he again probably realized like oh yeah like we're gonna get the truth out of you so they sit him down and Alexander is kind of in that happy like punch drunk stage he's like drooling a little bit and they start questioning him finally and they're like are you like actually like a wealthy art patron kind of guy he's like no i'm a fry cook (laughs) is your name really alexander no my name's tim i live with my parents (laughs) like he's just basically been stringing all these people along the entire time yeah and they they get the black book out and it's just all these art terms to use and yeah the word jejun was written down (laughs) in the book next to like a list of like bullshit to get for his mom from the grocery like centrum silver (laughs) so you know he basically says like yeah I've just been, like, taking all of y'all's art that y'all are sending me and just keeping it. Like, you know, your paintings are hanging up at my mom's house and... Yeah, Zyko and I were just going to kill y'all and then sell all y'all's art because then, like, it would be worth something because y'all are all dead. (laughs) 
<laughs> Once they realized, oh, wait, we were going to be the ones that were all going to be murdered ultimately, which is why Zyko brought the gun and everything else. So this is all going down right when Zyko like shows up. So Zyko comes back in. The dog is now running around the warehouse. Zyko sets this little baggy pouch of crank down, you know, right next to Alexander. And, you know, Alexander is just like, yeah, fuck it. Shoot Paul in the head. So Zyko just immediately pulls out his gun. He's kind of also still under the influence of the sodium pentothal as well. Zyko pulls out a gun and while Paul's trying to set up his shot for this portrait photography thing that he's doing and doing all the light for, he's staring into the camera and taking a reading and, you know, he's yelling at them about ruining his shot and Zyko just turns around and shoots him in the head. And he, like, turns around and is, like, more annoyed than anything that someone interrupted him after he got shot and, like, he keeps trying to say something and he keeps getting more and more shot and then finally, doesn't he make fun of, like, the guy's shoes or something before he dies. Yeah, the assistant also, like, tries to run away and she gets shot. So now everybody's, like, freaking out because the gun that was supposedly fake, uh, duh, is real, and Paul is now dead, the assistant's now dead, so everybody's kind of finally starting to freak out at this point. Lexi gets up and, like, runs over to, like, the table where she had all of her crap, and she gets the key out and starts trying to let Chris out. She's unchaining him. Well, and she gets at first attacked by Zyko, and then Mako who you assumed was dead kind of sits up Jason Voorhees style yeah. with like the fucking mask melted to his face. That's horrific too. Yeah. Just him peeling that mask off and seeing his burned gross goopy head underneath. Yeah after this point he's just he's basically sounds like a werewolf now because yeah. he's just making like howling noises. <laughs> yeah. And he's honestly kind of the creepiest part of this entire, entire movie because yeah you see like half his face is there but half of the mask is like melted onto his face and it's all burnt well while lexi is being attacked by zyko he gets up plugs in the chainsaw lexi jumps on top of zyko once he shoots paul and she's beating him up and trying to subdue him yeah so yeah like you said making like Voorhees style sits up gets the stupid chainsaw plugs it into the wall and while zyko and lexi are like rolling around the floor fighting Megan walks over and just saws into zyko's leg and there's just blood flying everywhere and lexi's freaking out and she gets up and runs over to her table full of stuff gets the key to unlock Christopher so she's like unlocking the padlocks on him and trying to untie him and while she's doing this she kind of like gets hit in the head and her wig falls off and we see the axe is like buried in her fucking head and Bill has finally like lost his shit. Yeah and it's interesting because like leading up to this while all this madness is happening and Lexi's like running over to Christopher to untie him it keeps flashing back to Bill and like something on his PSP game because every once in a while you'll like hear noises coming from his PSP game when like throughout the movie but this time something in the game says everybody dies that's when he just kind of like snaps really? I didn't yeah. notice that okay. yeah 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 like so it's either like everybody dies or everybody died or something like that comes out of the PSP like the game he was playing just Berkowitz style the yeah. game <laughs> is telling him to murder yeah. everybody yeah. I don't okay. know if it was like the only thing leading to him doing this because he was already acting very erratic and like he was going to do this anyway but yeah that's when he's just like fuck it everyone dies and like picks up the axe and yeah boom hits her from behind as she's uh untying christopher yeah 
And in the background of all this, the dog, Hellhammer, jumps up on the freezer chest where, again, Sky's body is stashed. And he gets the bag of crank that was brought in and starts just chewing into it. So the dog is now into the drugs. Alexander finally just ignoring all the craziness around him. He's just like, oh, well, look at this. Okay. And he just gets up and starts walking out like nothing ever happened. And now the fucking, like, drug-rabid dog runs after him and you know after Bill is like freaking out and he's smashing everything with the axe and you think he's like chopping into everybody's bodies he's really just cutting up this birthday cake they brought the dog runs back in mouth covered in blood and Alexander like crawling on the ground behind the dog and he's crawling back into the warehouse with his bottom half of his mouth and his face all chewed off (laughs) and Bill walks over to him and is like yeah fuck you Alexander everybody dies and just starts beating him to a pulp with a baseball bat and i was glad this happened because earlier like when they were interrogating uh alexander and that's when he like revealed that he's this fry cook and all this at one point he like points over to hellhammer he's like oh yeah i was planning on getting hellhammer put down probably on tuesday because he's not cute enough or something or he's not a puppy anymore i just like puppies they're like oh (laughs) what a piece of shit (laughs) yeah and then hellhammer fucking eats his face off in this scene so heather in that moment too heather was like no he was gonna kill the dog and then when the dog like chews his face off, she's like, yeah, fuck him. Yeah. And nothing happens to Hellhammer. He just kind of walks off at that point. Yeah. So yeah. Hell yeah. The pet lives. <laughs> yeah. This might be the first movie we've done so far where the pet does live. Coked out of his mind and, you know, ate somebody's face off, but the dog didn't die. Same with the cat. <laughs> at this point, Macon is in full like gross burned two-face mode with half this like werewolf mask melted to his head. And he is now like passed out so Christopher is now trying to escape and he's running through the bowels of this warehouse Bill who has fucking snapped is now chasing him with the axe this is a full blown slasher movie now yeah I mean, this it, is where it does go full slasher there are funny moments that a lot of funny moments that are packed in throughout this but yeah mostly this has now made the turn to like a slasher movie the guy who plays Bill does a great job of just portraying a stalker who is not will not be stopped is going to chase you for however long it takes. The fact that he's dressed as a baseball furry, fury, uh, not a furry, a baseball furry. <laughs> that would be a whole different thing. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that might be even more. But anyway, uh, even though he's dressed up like that, it makes it him even more menacing in this. And he's just like off his fucking rocker because 75% of this movie, he is quiet. And then now he's just like shouting shit erratically and like keeps saying everyone needs to die, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, he's full-blown slasher chasing after Christopher throughout this warehouse. Chris is running through the inside of this warehouse. Bill is chasing him with an axe, screaming, you know, everybody's gotta die. And then Macon is chasing after Bill, who killed Lexi, trying to get revenge. And he's, like, stumbling through the warehouse with the fucking plug-in chainsaw, dragging along an extension cord with him. And, like you said, they, they're, like, running through the rooftops, and there's a scene where they, like, go up this conveyor belt, and, like, there's this kind of gag of them, like, stopping and starting and reversing it, and there's a scene where Chris hides behind a wall and he thinks he's good but then his like little alarm on his watch goes off to take his medicine and Bill notices that so eventually they make their way through these rooftops to like another artist party that's on the like roof and earlier in the movie somebody mentioned like yeah we should just ditch this bullshit and go to Cicero's party yeah Cicero (laughs) always throws the best art parties yeah why aren't we at that scene so there's this other group of art students 
that are doing their Halloween party, which is what they stumble across. Apparently, like, two buildings away on yeah. a rooftop and, like, inhabiting this other abandoned warehouse, but that's, it actually looks like a party. <laughs> and, yeah, this is definitely, like, an actual party. There are people there, there's music going and everything else. This is kind of like a uh, an anxiety nightmare, too, because Christopher, like, stumbles in and is just like, I need help, leave, run, he's gonna kill us all. And they're all like, yeah, whatever, bro. Like, Everybody's nice ignoring co- him, yeah. Nice costume, idiot. I love the one bit where he's just like, I need a phone, I need a cell phone, and he turns the corner, there's like a guy dressed as a cell phone. <laughs> so Bill kind of chases Christopher through this party to the point where Chris runs into this, you know, live art installation. And again, this is like the kind of art installation that you walk through, but there are like real life people in it, if that makes sense. So he walks into this room and slams the door behind him and notices all these people. And like, it's all these people painted weird. The like girls are topless. This other guy's just in his underwear. Another guy's wearing a gas mask. And they're all sitting around these columns with pumpkins on them. And there's just a sign on the wall that just says art? Question mark? (laughs) The type of shit that makes you roll your eyes. Yeah. Uh, Look, I've gone to art exhibits and art museums that are kind of more modern style. And a lot of it is great. A lot of it is fantastic artwork. But there are uh, those moments where you just kind of got it. We both appreciate art, but there are times where like you roll your eyes real fucking hard. Yeah, like, oh my God, that painting of one fucking line on a white canvas is worth 10 grand. Are you out of your goddamn minds? Like that kind of shit. So Christopher like hides in this room. And again, he's telling everybody like, he's coming, he's coming. I just gotta hide. He like hides behind a column. And it's like this little column that's like three feet tall. Like he's totally visible. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you gotta hide. Gotta stay quiet. He's coming. And I think someone even said, oh, is he here for the exhibit too? Yeah. So... Bill rounds the corner into this live art exhibit and bumps into Cicero, the guy that they were talking about earlier, who is the other douchey art guy who's throwing this party slash live art installation thing. And the entire time, because, like, as Bill chased him through this party, like, because they go, like, on different floors and from the rooftop to, like, the dance floor area to this weird art exhibit room. And when Bill is chasing him in the dance floor area, like, he's fucking cutting through all, the, like, the decorations and everything yeah. and like he's not killing anyone else but he's he's just wrecking this party <laughs> yeah like flinging around like everyone just assumes he's part of the party because like no one's paying attention to yeah either him or uh christopher so he finds cicero and cicero's got on like a headset with a mic and he's talking to his assistants and you know they're arguing about opening the doors to the installation and letting people in and eventually he sees bill and he's like oh bill finally a real artiste is here you know i just want to let you <laughs> you know like i've always loved your paintings man oh have you seen alexander i'm really hoping i can get a grant from that guy for this installation and again that's like what makes bill finally snap and he's just like fuck this entire scene everybody's gotta die and so he like walks into the same room where christopher was hiding and he immediately just smashes the column christopher was hiding behind he's just like oh because of course he's not actually being hidden and bill starts freaking the fuck out and just murdering all of the people that are in this room brutally like with an axe blood flying everywhere he's screaming everybody dies and chris is just huddled in the corner getting splattered with blood just screaming no why are you ruining the party (laughs) yeah Yeah. it was funny too because like you'd said he kept screaming everyone needs to die and fuck the scene and just like he's finally had it with these art people and so yeah he walks into that like half nude painting 
weird art question mark exhibit and that's when he really just goes fucking hog wild with the yeah. axe and there's an open window in this room that they're in currently and then it cuts back to Macon he's on the roof and he sees like a giant string of lights on the roof part of the party and he goes over and plugs in his chainsaw he like stands up waving the chainsaw in the air like fucking Leatherface and then immediately like slips and falls off the edge of the fucking building and then it cuts back to the room where everybody's getting murdered by Bill and Bill's slowly now approaching Christopher with the axe and we just see Macon like fall past the window screaming Lexi I love you <laughs> Lexi I love you and then, and then yeah. you see the extension cord go taut and you know Christopher notices that and turns around and grabs the extension cord from the window and pulls in the chainsaw so now he's got the electric chainsaw when Bill comes at him and he immediately just blocks the axe that Bill has and just accidentally slings the chainsaw right into Bill's head and is just cutting him up while Bill's screaming and blood's flying everywhere and Chris is just like oh god I'm sorry I'm sorry oh this is so gross you ruined the party yeah I mean they really zoom in because yeah this is super gory and over the top when Bill is butchering the entire exhibit room of everyone else they're only showing you Christopher freaking out and Bill just swinging his axe around well you're seeing flashes you're seeing like very creative the psycho shower scene style flashes where you're not really seeing any violence you're just seeing cuts and editing that's creating the idea of these people all being brutally murdered and there's like blood splashing everywhere but yeah this part where like Christopher's actually killing Bill with the chainsaw like the camera goes right into it yeah the chainsaw is revving into his face and it's in between his nose and I think his left or right eye whatever puppet they used or or whatever was great the way it was cutting into the meat and spewing out fake blood everywhere and it gets all over Christopher at this point Bill's dead Christopher is like in shock covered in blood I just wanted to have a good time yeah he's like I just wanted to have fun at a party (laughs) he looks over picks up a jack-o'-lantern and just chunks it onto Bill's head and leaves the room and he leaves the door to this room open and as he leaves and walks out these three other art snobs that are all dressed up with their like frou-frou clothes on smoking long cigarettes and everything they all walk up and they're like oh yeah look at this lard it's so pedestrian (laughs) so they're all you know looking at it as if it's like an actual art piece not realizing all these people are fucking dead you finally see the total room now everybody's laying around covered in blood yeah yeah it looks like that part in the shining where the twins appear to him stay with us forever and ever and ever and it flashes the dead bodies and like blood all over the hallway it's like that times 10 just fucking dead bodies blood everywhere bill with the fucking jack-o'-lantern sitting in the corner so as christopher's walking out he like dials 911 on the shitty flip phone that he like snatched from somebody at the party and just kind of hands it to the stage manager guy as he walks out and just says it's for you (laughs) so christopher heads home and you see him like get to the subway station and he fucking realizes he doesn't have his wallet because they took it earlier so then you see him like just walking back home like from Brooklyn to a different borough the whole time he is covered in blood like in Bill's yeah he's blood. still in shock too <laughs> yeah at one point he stops pulls out his anxiety medication well, his, his watch alarm goes off again to take yeah. another one yeah and he just flings it into the river <laughs> yeah so he gets home we see him like making his way through his neighborhood in the aftermath of Halloween and he walks in he takes the bowl of candy corn from his front stoop and there's like half a dozen pieces left in it he walks in and we see him kind of 
of repeat the same routine that we saw at the beginning of the movie where he walks in the door, everything's framed up the same way, and he just kind of chucks his keys at the spot where he normally carefully puts them, and you see him walk in and take out a carton of milk, take off his shoes, put on his house shoes, and he walks up to the cat again in the chair, and he's like, Sir Lancelot, move, and the cat just kind of has that stare-down moment with him, but now this time the cat actually gets up and moves. So he sits down, takes off his glasses, takes off the stupid helmet, and just pops candy corn, picks up the remote control, and turns the TV on, which, you know, immediately cuts us to credit. Yeah. So, yep. so, yep, end of movie. And at the end of the day, Christopher is all right, but who knows what kind of lasting damage there's going to be. <laughs> Jesus. This is what Heather was arguing with me, because she was like, is he going to be okay? And I was like, yeah, he's going to be okay by the end of the movie. And then she was like, he was not okay. He was traumatized. <laughs> Now, honestly, we might have spent more time describing the plot than the actual runtime of this movie, because it is a short-ass movie. It is a tight 80 minutes, which is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is a perfect, yeah. like, Halloween night group party movie, because you are in and out, it moves quick, it's funny, and the situations are fun, the characters are fun, but the pacing's, like, real quick, and it moves, and it's just a solid movie to throw on during the Halloween season, for yeah. sure. As someone who watched it alone at my house, I'll almost wanted more of it like i wanted it to be a little longer because i wanted to explore these ding-dongs acting like idiots longer dildos. <laughs> <laughs> these dildos i did appreciate the couple scenes where like they actually directly interacted with chris after yeah. he was tied up like where they asked him questions or actually talked to him and listened to him for a second so a part of me left wanting more which i guess is a, a sign of like a good movie yeah totally so that's Murder Party. A uh, great, fun one to throw on during the season of Spoop. Um, I think this one is definitely Spoop Boys approved. Again, it is not a super scary movie, but it's just fun and uh, definitely a good one to put on this time of year. If you went to college for like any kind of liberal arts or anything like that, I think you could appreciate <laughs> You'll find this. this especially funny, yes. Because you probably know some of these people. <laughs> totally. So Jeremy Saulnier is our first uh, second time covering a movie director so that's pretty fun because i was not expecting that <laughs> now i wanted to ask you this do you think this was almost like i mean it's very much on the nose but critique of like the quote-unquote art scene well totally because yeah. a lot of this was kind of making fun of their real situation and people they knew and everything else but yeah the reason why i kind of asked you that is i mean especially towards the end of the movie where bill is completely snapped and yeah walks in on that other party and meets uh cicero and then walks in on the art question mark exhibit yeah. and then flips out like yeah the whole time like fuck the scene fuck everybody in it kind of attitude so I was like yeah yeah I, I bet that there's this is like a tongue in cheek sort of examination of art collectives and and I bet some of this was influenced by their experience trying to get this movie made because they specifically like did these short films beforehand to get funding to make this and nobody bit so like just that frustration like as an artist trying to do something and all these people putting their like time and effort and passion to making something and then like nobody gives a shit i'm sure definitely influence where this movie goes and kind of the things it deals with specifically which again that's like a real life understandable fear and anxiety of just am i good enough to cut it am i good enough to like do what i'm passionate about and make it um you know that's something that like we all have to struggle with in our careers and everything else i mean shit then this podcast has been so far and even now is still totally for fun like me and you just yeah. 
you doing this totally for fun, but there is still a little bit of that anxiety and pressure of do people actually like our product? Yeah. Will people actually listen? Because at the end of the day, we would like to grow our audience. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, we're not trying to do this for fame or money, but like it would be nice to have a big group of people we can talk to about this. Like not only just be fans of our stuff, but also interact with us. Because I mean, I guess that's the fun part of doing stuff like this. Yeah, totally. So murder party. Super fun. Again, as of this recording, it is available on Netflix. Definitely worth checking out during the season of Spoop. So I think that's it. Do you have anything to plug? Yeah, so uh, shout outs to your little brother, Jesse Mansfield. He actually did a new theme altogether for our season of Spoop episodes. Yeah, he specifically recorded the new bump for the beginning of our October episodes that we'll use going forward. So that was specifically for the season of Spoop. Spoop TM. And he does uh, our two other themes as well. And he is at Party Gator on Bandcamp. He is with the Opossums. Are they doing a mini tour still? By the time that this recording drops, I think they will be on the tail end. Haha, <laughs> get it? Because Opossums, they'll be on the tail end of their kind of mini tour of the Southeast. So if they are still playing any dates around you, go check them out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, for our show, once again, we are Watch If You Dare, the podcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, now on Spotify, now on CastBox. Sadly, PodCoin has officially shut down. Thank you for all of those who discovered us on there and are sticking around to continue listening to us. PodCoin was a great experiment. I am sad to see it go. It really helped our show out specifically. Uh, I know it helped out other shows as well. Maybe down the line, something like it will reappear. And if it does, we'll let y'all know. And I'm sure we'll be there too. But for now, we are on all those other platforms. And we are on Twitter and Facebook at Watch If You Dare. We are now over 200 reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, rather. And we have a five-star rating average. So my God, thank you all for doing that, taking the time to do that. Thanks for everyone's support, for sure. Cool, cool. Well, I want to take y'all out on a quote. Art is not supposed to change the world, to change practical things, but to change perceptions. Art can change the way we see the world. Art can create a... Sally! 